This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And uh, welcome to it. It's about six minutes after four o'clock. Welcome to the show. Once again, Liam Moody is handling all of your questions today. Bring them on. We are live. We are ready for them. Yeah, 604-280-9898 is the number to call in. You want an email, a question, you can do that as well. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. The website employmentlawyer.ca is another way to, uh, to contact Leah. And the rest of her team, and you can always use pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. There is a wealth of information on there, including the severance pay calculator if you need it or wherever curious about how much your severance should be, what you're actually owed can be found at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. So have a look at that. Again, 604-280-9898. Lines are open. We're live. We're ready to go. We hope you are as well. We're going to get to understanding the duty to accommodate uh, this afternoon, and hopefully if we have time, employment law, true or false, is on the way. But first, Leah, we always start with some uh, some week that was. What's been happening uh, with your week, pal? What's going on? Well, you know, it continues to just be absolutely nuts for the most part. And that's, you know, understandable. I think I said the last time we did the show that, you know, employment lawyers have have never been so popular and that just continues to be the case. And one thing that sort of, you know, comes up over and over and over again is the importance of information, right? The importance of understanding what your rights are, avoiding misinformation, and just trying to have some understanding of what you can do uh, in your employment situation, whatever the case is, whatever that situation may be. Um, and so I find that I've been spending a lot of my time just helping people understand what their rights and entitlements are. And, and that's exactly where this show comes into play, too. Um, it's a perfect opportunity to to not just listen, but to call in, call in and and ask us, ask us what, you know, if, if anything is going on in your workplace that, that you want to have some information about or get an answer to, you know, that is what we are here for. This next hour is dedicated entirely to your employment relationship. Um, you know, whether that be what, what I'd like to speak about first, which is layoffs or any other matter, please don't hesitate to call. This is what the show is about. First and foremost is answering questions. But you're right. I mean, we start every week by, by sort of detailing some of the key things that I've been seeing, you know, some of the, the, the major things that have been coming across my desk so that we can sort of give a flavor of, of what I've been dealing with and, and potentially with the idea that if somebody's calling in with this question, chances are other people have this question mm-hmm. too, especially when we yep. see it over and over again. And the biggest one right now, again, is temporary layoffs. Um, and particularly because in BC right now, uh, you know, the original 13 week period has probably come and gone and the 16 week extension. So the additional three week extension to the original 13 weeks is also coming up. And a lot of people have questions about what that means, particularly in the context of this extension that was recently announced a couple of weeks ago, uh, about the 16 weeks now being eligible to be extended to 24 weeks. The key word there being eligible. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of misinformation out there. A lot of people think that it's automatic, that this eight-week extension to the 16-week period automatically applies, and that is not the case. So if your 16 weeks is coming up and you uh, you haven't heard from your employer, you haven't been recalled, you don't know what's up, 
16 weeks in one day, you can probably assume that your employment has been terminated. In the context of the extension, it is it is probably good form to reach out to your employer to see what's going on. You know, are they seeking to extend it by the additional eight weeks or, you know, what, what is their intention? Are they recalling you? If they don't respond, then certainly you have been terminated and you can then pursue your severance. If they do, they should be telling you and asking you if you want to agree to the additional eight weeks. You don't have to. Of course you can. If you want to wait the additional eight weeks and see if you're going to be recalled uh, as of uh, the end of the 24-week period or August 30th, whichever comes first, uh, then you can, by all means. And then after that expires, you will definitely be entitled to severance because my understanding is that there isn't going to be any further extension. But, you know, if, if at this point you've had enough and you just don't see how you can sit around for another eight weeks only getting served, then you can. You It is well within your right to say, I do not agree to this, and I'd like to pursue my severance. Um, You know, that is sort of the main thing that's happening with temporary layoffs right now is what employees can do with this extension and what their options are. And it's one of the things that I wanted to hit right off the bat because uh, this is going to be a major issue for employees across British Columbia over this next week or two. Again, if you have any uh, questions while we're talking about this here live, bring them on. That's why we do the show on Sunday afternoon, 604-280-9898. You want to cover something about uh, human rights concerns too, right? I did, yeah. And this is sort of related to the idea of this recall. Um, You know, this was originally a concern when the temporary layoffs were happening, but I think is going to continue to be a concern as individuals are recalled. And that is that employers might be making these decisions in a way that ends up being discriminatory. Uh, You know, my concern when the temporary layoffs were first initiated was that the people that I saw being put on a temporary layoff were older employees, were employees who were on, you know, medical leaves of absence or, you know, may have just indicated some difficulty with a disability. And employers are, you know, sort of using COVID as a cover to get rid of employees that they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And now we're seeing that again uh, as part of the recall process. So if in a temporary layoff, an employer had laid off, you know, 50 employees, and then they recall 25, and all 25 employee, employees that are recalled are white or are under the age of 40, and all of the ones who are uh, terminated uh, are, you know, are in individuals of color or are, you know, 50-plus, that looks like a potential discriminat- discriminatory complaint. That has the potential to be something that, in addition to entitling you to severance, could also be something that is a human rights complaint. And so I think that it's important that we, you know, look at the totality of the circumstances of these individuals being recalled to make sure that the decisions that these employers are making are completely above board. Because remember, it doesn't ha- the discriminatory component doesn't have to be the entire reason why you're terminated. It doesn't have to be the entire reason why you're not recalled. It can just be 1% of the reason, and that is discriminatory. 
So, you know, oftentimes, you know, it's, it's very rarely explicitly stated that discrimination is very rarely, you know, set out in black and white in an email. You know, we're not hiring you because you're 60. But you can look at things like what are the patterns? What are the decisions that are being making being made? And how does that actually, what's the real world impact of these decisions? What does the workforce now look like? And from those decisions and from those conclusions, we might be able to extrapolate that some discriminatory motivations were behind these decisions. And that, of course, is a problem and it's illegal. And you think with the, uh, the some employers will under the umbrella or the mask of COVID-19, the coronavirus, you think they'll try to slip that in there and use that as some sort of cover for what they're covertly doing as human rights violations? Oh, definitely. And, and I don't think that this is, this isn't just a hypothesis. I've seen it, right? I, I have seen, people have called me and, you know, I don't want to think that, you know, an employer is, you know, sitting in their Dr. Evil chair, you know, plotting how they're going to use this global pandemic to their advantage. I don't think, you know, I'd like to think that it's not so uh, explicit or intentional, but, you know, it doesn't have to be explicit. It doesn't have to be intentional to be discrimination. It, it can be implied. It can be, like I said, just the result of the decision that's being made, you know, and employers are also using COVID as a way to get rid of employees that they see as problem employees, right? Employees who aren't just making complaints of, of harassment in the workplace, but are also making complaints with respect to the safety in the workplace. And that, of course, is also illegal and could give rise to a reprisal lawsuit and fines, fines to the employer through WorkSafe legislation. And if it gets to the point, if it gets to the point where it is a, a, a matter where it's an employment thing, there's severance involved. If there is a human rights violation, there's also extra damages involved with that as well, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. And that's what that's one of the, you know, the reasons why we look behind this, right, is not just to hold right. employers and companies to account, but because, mm-hmm. you know, that has is a major point of leverage in any kind of negotiation, you know, not to give away the trade secrets. But also, yeah. if we have to sue, you know, that gives rise to additional damages. It's not just under the Human Rights Code, but potentially, you know, bad faith damages as part of a civil suit for severance. So there's so many different components. And I guess, you know, what I'm trying to say is that, it's important not to myopically focus on the severance and to take into consideration, you know, all of the circumstances, you know, all of the, the, you know, the situation that that surrounds the decisions that the employer is making and the effect that it has on the employee, because that can ultimately give rise to additional damages for the employee. Understanding the duty to accommodate. We'll tackle that topic after we uh, come back from a short break. In the meantime, you have time now to pick up a phone and give us a call if any of this sounds familiar or you've got any other questions under the uh, employment banner. Bring them on. That's why Lee is here to answer them. Don't be, uh, don't be shy. Don't hesitate. It could be a simple question, but lead to a wonderful answer and set you down the right path to having more knowledge for sure. That is never a bad thing. 604-280-9898 is the number. Employment Law Show on CKNW. And welcome back. It is uh, 419, so that means you have plenty of time to uh, make your calls through here, 604-280-9898. We're just getting the first couple lined up here, so we'll give you a moment to get set. Again, 604-280-9898 is the number. Email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca, and any time you uh, care to check it out, it is absolutely free. It's like having an employment lawyer with you at all times, Pocket Employment Lawyer. We'll move on to understanding the duty to accommodate first. So, as always, top priority are phone calls and our listeners. Pam, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us this afternoon. How are you? I'm good. 
So I, I've actually got two questions, but I'll, I guess I'll just take one, do one. My daughter has a friend who was off on maternity leave during COVID, and so she was ready to be re, uh, come back to work, and she went on serve. There was someone filling her position while she was away. She's now been told that her employment is severed, but the person that was filling her position has been recalled. Ooh, major problem. So I think that, <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of people out there, uh, employers and employees alike, think that the global pandemic has somehow like frozen employment law, that all of a sudden you can get away with things that you might not have been able to get away with before. And that's just not the case. So mm-hmm. your daughter's friend in this context and before the pandemic and well after the pandemic has the right on maternity leave to go on a job-protected leave and to be returned to the same position that uh, they had had before they went on leave. So what that means in this particular context is that, A, she can pursue severance, and she absolutely should pursue her full severance, you know, ensuring that it's reflective of her common law entitlement and not just uh, the minimum standards under the Employment Standards Act. Uh, you know, but also exploring the potential for a human rights code complaint, um, because ultimately, if she lost her job because she was on leave, that's indirect discrimination under the human rights code on the basis of sex. So there's two major claims there that she will definitely want to be pursuing. Okay, well, and so what's interesting is that they've, I used to work in HR, and so they've given her a letter, and I know these standard letters, and I love your comment about their Dr. Evil Chair, because they're doing that Dr. Evil Chair, but uh, they gave her a letter saying, we don't have to give you severance due to the pandemic, but we will give you six weeks. Oh, yeah. So this is another thing that I'm seeing a lot of. And I love that you brought this up because it's actually really been coming to the fore lately. There is a section in the Employment Standards Act that says that severance under the Employment Standards Act, so not common law, severance under the Employment Standards Act is not owed if uh, there are unprecedented and unforeseen circumstances. The Employment Standards Branch has said that that section may apply in the context of COVID, but if the company is still operational, if if there's no way to really say that future employment is truly impossible, I don't think that they can use that argument. And even if they could, that's only applicable to her minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. It doesn't apply to her common law severance entitlements. Yeah, well, she did call employment standards, and they told her not to pursue anything more than the six weeks. So they might be going down that path that you were talking about, the unusual circumstance. Yeah, so they may have, uh, I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm honestly a bit disappointed to hear that, that that's what somebody at the Employment Standards Branch recommended that she do. I think that, you know, individuals at the Employment Standards Branch, while very well educated um, on the Employment Standards Act and what an employee's rights are under there, uh, you know, don't necessarily have a working knowledge of the common law and, and how it applies to somebody in that same situation. And those are two very distinct systems. So it's perfectly fair to tell somebody, you know, I'm an adjudicator for the ESB and I don't really think that this is a path that she should go down for the purpose of the ESA. But I I honestly think it's a bit inappropriate to comment on whether or not she should be pursuing her severance entitlements under the common law. And it's certainly inappropriate to to even, you know, remotely dissuade her from uh, from pursuing a human rights code complaint. 
so, I mean, honestly, I think it sounds like there's some Dr. Evil stuff happening all around, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was very surprised when uh, my daughter told me that they had said to her, you know, that the six weeks, she should just stop there. I, I mean, I said to my daughter, no, she should definitely call an employment lawyer. But I just happened to be in my car, and you're doing this. And I said, oh, perfect. Well, I can call it and ask. So, yeah, no, I, I thought that she should. Now, my next question, if I can be so bold, is my daughter's pregnant right now. So when this pandemic happened, she uh, applied for EI, because that's the first 10 days or whatever, EI was the route. And when the CERB came into play, they actually refused to put her on CERB. And they actually started her maternity leave right away. And she's not due till September. So it was like, okay. And I said to her, they can't do that. That's, they can't do that. It must be some system glitch, which it was. But now she has not heard anything. Like a lot of her employer, employees or friends have, at work have been let go. And she hasn't heard anything. So she's very nervous because she's actually not on maternity leave now. And she's not really in a protective leave. And she's afraid they'll try to let her go and she'll lose her benefits when she's almost ready to go on maternity leave. Uh, I mean, so first of all, congratulations to your daughter and to you. Um, that's, that's fabulous. Um, Thank you. But I, I think I'm. I think I don't quite understand. Um, is, is your daughter presently employed, and she just accidentally started receiving EI benefits? No, she was employed, and she was laid off March 30th. So they okay. were all laid off March 30th due to COVID. She, her claim ended up going maternity leave, but then back onto the CERB, and now she's on the 75% CEW or something. And so yep. she she is just concerned that she could be severed somehow because she really can't go back to work. I mean, now she's very close to her her due date, so they probably won't bring her back, and she doesn't feel. She was a, an event coordinator, and she obviously, there's no events happening, so she doesn't think her position will even exist for very for quite a few years. This is a huge company that she's working for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, I think that, you know, if I were the employer... I would be looking at somebody who was about to take a maternity leave in the face of a potential recall as a bit of a blessing. You know, if, if they're sort of struggling to figure out who to recall and who not to, you know, if they can just technically recall somebody and then put them on maternity leave, that's sort of ideal from the, from the oh. perspective of an employer, right? So I think, yeah. I think she probably doesn't have much to fear in that regard. Um, you know, but if she is terminated and or if at the end of the maternity leave she doesn't have uh, her position available to her or a position that's similar in terms yeah. of stature and her compensation, then, you know, definitely have her reach out because although it's scary to lose your job, and I completely understand that, the law is is very protective towards employees mm-hmm. and she is well uh, she is well protected and ensured that she's going to get some sort of severance to help support her until she gets a new job. Okay, terrific. Thank you so much for taking my call. You're Appreciate uh, your time, Pam. Thank you. It was a smart move calling in. You want to reach out to, uh, to Leah, do so. 604-283-3123. Again, 604-283-3123. Let's get to uh, Diane. Diane, thanks for uh, for hanging on for a few minutes. How are you? I'm fine. How are you guys doing? Great. What's on your mind? Okay. So um, my daughter and son-in-law are in the restaurant industry. And uh, so they were both laid off um, back in mid-March. And uh, her 
been collecting, they, they applied for EI, and then it got uh, transferred over to the CERB. So um, now they've been recalled, which is fabulous. They're delighted to be back working again. But because the restaurant is only uh, working at part-time capacity, they're not yet um, uh, having the hours to ensure that they had the same wage as before. So uh, my question is, are they able to collect partial serve to top them up? So uh, as far as I know, there's no such thing as partial CERB. Um, there is, you know, partial EI, but as long as CERB is around, uh, my understanding is that employees who are eligible for social assistance are going to be sort of siphoned off into that stream. So it is possible to earn money uh, at the same time that you are getting your full CERB, but it's up to a certain threshold, uh, that being, you know, $1,000. Um, so you have to uh, ensure that you're earning less than that threshold and then you can still qualify for CERB. But that, you know, social assistance issues aside, uh, if, if uh, these two individuals, I, I forget if you said your daughter or your son-in-law, um, are, uh, are returning and they don't have the same wages and they don't have the same hours, uh, that's a potential constructive dismissal as well. And, you know, I understand why a lot of people are inclined to agree to it. You know, I think that in some situations that's appropriate. Employees want to do what they can to help their, uh, their employers, you know, reopen safely um, and, uh, and, you know, not have to spend a bunch of money doing it and drive them into bankruptcy. But if, if this isn't working for them, if there's no workable solution, sooner rather than later, they, they may have the uh, ability to claim for their severance instead. Um, you know, one other note, if I can make, if you don't mind, is that if they do decide to accept the temporary reduction in wages and hours, they should clearly communicate to their employer uh, that they're only accepting this reduction for a temporary period of time and that the expectation is that outside of these extraordinary times, these extraordinary measures will no longer be applicable. Diane, appreciate the call. We're going to let you go there. Got to get into a quick break and right back into it. Your phone call, 604-280-9890. Employment Law Show, CKNW. And welcome back. It's uh, 4.33. Yeah, the number you know it's 604-280-9898. Leah Moody is here taking the calls, answering your questions. Bring them on. We'd love to talk to you. And always uh, appreciate your time tuning in. 604-280-9898 is the uh, the way to go. Mark, thanks for standing by. Good afternoon. How are you? Hey, how you doing? You Good, me? brother. What's up? Yeah, yeah. We got you. What's going on? Yeah, so, okay. So, story. So, I was drug tested at my company about about three weeks ago. And I went along with it, but they didn't follow their own drug policy. So, when I started employment there, we all had to sign different contracts, right? And so, being a drug policy was just one of them. So, like... The fact they didn't follow their own policy and admitted it, would that favor me in, in any case? Yes. I mean, what I'm going to say right off the hop is that just because you signed a policy doesn't even make that policy legal in the first place. So there are only, it's only very specific circumstances uh, that a, an employer in British Columbia can ask their employees to submit to random drug testing. Um, so, you know, I don't know what the policy looks like, but it's quite possible that even if you signed it and even if they followed it, it wouldn't really hold any water. 
So basically, then it's tough luck for me. Basically, then. No, no, quite, quite the opposite, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the, what I was trying to say, and, and perhaps not, not well, is that um, those policies are very difficult to enforce. And- All right, we're going to uh, give this one more kick at the can, see if uh, see if it happens. Leah, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, good. You know, working from home has so many benefits, and yeah. uh, these sort of technical difficulties is certainly not one of them. Sorry about that. You want a landline or a cell line? I'm on a cell, but I've got full bars, so I don't well, know what's going on. Got a free toaster with that cell phone. I think we'll, uh, we'll see yeah. if we can get John on here. Hey, John, thanks for hanging on for the uh, the hilarity. What's going on, pal? How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, well, well, technically, it could phone. be better, but go ahead. Yep. What's, your, what's, uh, what's up? Uh, my wife is a pharmacist, and uh, when COVID happened, she got sick, and she was off for quite a few months. Uh, they, she was in contact with the employer, which is one of the big chains here in, in Canada, and they told her her position is going to be there when she comes back. But while she was gone, the pharmacy manager stepped down uh, and didn't want to be a manager anymore. So they brought another manager to run the pharmacy, and basically, he took the previous pharmacy manager, took her position, and now that she went back to work, they told her, well, we don't have hours for you here. So they are basically telling her, you can work a couple of days in this store, then we're going to basically float you around to wherever we want to send you. Mm. And she says, why is it my fault? If he stepped down, he should be the one that is going to go to another store. Why am I getting pushed? And she thinks that that's the way of they are trying to push her out of her position, so she could, they can hire newer pharmacists that are uh, basically getting paid less because she's been doing it for over 20 years in there. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I'm so glad that you called because that's a very, very important question to be answering. Um, you know, I almost would sort of leave the issue of why this other person was put in that position and he's not stepping down aside because the the only real you know kernel of this story that matters from a legal perspective is the fact that your wife was on leave and now she is not in the same position that she was in before she's being asked to float around she's not given the same responsibilities it doesn't matter if she's getting the same pay if she's working in a vastly different position than the one that she held before or if it can't even be construed as a position because she comes in on one day and she's told to do one thing on the next day she comes in and is told to do something else and it's just you know arbitrary and ad hoc that mm-hmm. gives rise to a constructive dismissal claim your wife can very easily i would say based on what you've told me uh say i i am not going to accept this i don't have to accept it and i want my severance and if your wife has been there for 20 years in a managerial position we're looking at a fairly substantial severance, and by that I mean, you know, 20 to 24 months of a potential she severance for her. Position. She was a pharmacist. It's someone else, a full-time pharmacist. Someone else was the managerial position that they said stepped down, and basically, but he stayed at the pharmacist full-time, and they are moving her out right. of the store and making her float. Still, that's a specialized profession. I, I wouldn't change my analysis on what her severance entitlements are. The okay. key thing here, though, is that she has to act fairly quickly if she wants to take advantage of her severance. If she ends up allowing this situation to go on for too long, eventually the employer is going to have an argument to say she's essentially condoned it or acquiesced to it because she didn't 
because her silence or her inaction is going to be seen as a tacit agreement. So if she is going to object, she has to object soon. Is like, I mean, can she object without uh, trying to go and quit her job and get sovereign? I mean, can she just uh, basically yes, yes. Stand, stand up and say this is not what you're supposed to do and keep her yes, job? You, you absolutely can. So she okay. can she can object to it. Uh, she can object to the change and she can either, you know, sue for any kind of difference in the background or uh, from her um, of her salary if she's getting a different salary. Uh, or she can just object to it in order to make sure that there's not any sort of uh, situation in the future where her role is uh, is scaled back even more. Perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, she did send an email uh, to the email uh, that you guys have. And I mean, she will talk to you guys in person this week. Oh, great. That'd be wonderful. I'd love to speak with her. Fantastic, John. Nicely done. Again, if you need the uh, the phone number again to uh, get a hold of Leah and her team, 604-283-3123. You already have the email address. You can also go to Pocket Employment Lawyer. .ca anytime you like. Let's get to a few of these. We got some uh, some show left here. You, you have some time as well. You want to phone in, ask a question. We'd love to have you on here. 604-280-9898. It's only 4:45, so you got some minutes. Understanding the duty to accommodate. How about this? First of all, what is the duty to accommodate, Leah? Yeah, so it's it's a legal concept that basically contemplates an obligation that an employer has in the workplace to consider an employee's perspective, to consider an employee's situation and modify the employment relationship or the employment situation accordingly. So in in the the vast majority of, of situations, the employer sort of has the full right and full jurisdiction to say, to determine, you know, where the work is going to take place, how it's going to take place. But the duty to accommodate considers that there are situations where an employer has to uh, has to modify what they are doing, what their decisions are in the workplace in order to accommodate an employee. Who has the right to be accommodated? So uh, any employee in, in British Columbia, uh, anybody who, who is employed by a company, by an individual, um, who uh, who is in a situation where they um, are either disabled, so they have some sort of um, illness or injury or other sort of ailment that is requiring some form of accommodation. So uh, the most common situation is, you know, somebody who's been on medical leave because they've thrown out their back and they were working at a factory and now the doctor says, you can return to work, but you can't lift more than 20 pounds. Um, you know, or somebody who uh, is suffering from extreme depression and anxiety and their doctor says that they can't work in a context with many employees and they now need to uh, work remotely. Um, you know, that is somebody who any employee who has a, uh, a disabling injury, illness, anything like that, that uh, a doctor will say, um, you know, requires some form of accommodation, has the right to be accommodated. Additionally, in BC, are employees who can claim uh, family status accommodation. Right. And what that means, BC is a tougher province 
to get that accommodation, uh, but it still exists and a lot of people aren't aware of it. So if you are an employee that has uh, childcare obligations, well, I mean, any sort of familial obligation, it's just most commonly uh, childcare or uh, the care of elderly parents, and there are no other alternatives available to you and the uh, the employer is asking you to do something, either work hours or travel a certain distance that interferes with your ability to uh, to undertake that uh, that care, then you have the right to ask your employer to accommodate your family status. Your family status being the care that you need to to provide to somebody who is dependent on you. The obviously the the obvious flip side question that then is when is an employee not entitled to accommodation? Yeah, so I mean, outside of of having some sort of disability or having the family status uh, issue, uh, there there you can't just ask an employee. Well, I mean, you can, but you don't have the legal right to ask an employer to uh, to accommodate your situation. Um, if you are one of those individuals who qualifies to ask. Uh, legally ask for accommodation, so either with a disability or family status issue, you have you have an obligation to participate in the accommodation process. So what that means is that if you are an employee who is asking for medical accommodation in the workplace, you can't just say, "I want to work from home. My doctor says I need to work from home. The end. Get me to get me to work from home." Um, right. You know, you need to participate in that process. It needs to be a discussion. It needs to be a conversation. Um, and if you aren't participating in that accommodation process, then uh, then an employer can say, you know, you know, help me help you. If you're not going to give me the information, then I have nothing to go on to accommodate you. And and in that case, uh, an employee an employer is not or an employee sorry is not entitled to accommodation. For family status, it's generally uh, is a situation where employees who have care obligations have alternatives available to them. They just prefer to be the one to administer the care. So if there uh, is another family member who can do it or, uh, you know, the cost of, you know, sending your kids to daycare or hiring somebody to come by is not unduly onerous for you, then, you know, you can't ask for accommodation because of a preference. It has to actually be an interference with a care obligation that you have and you have no alternative, uh, you have no alternative for. I mean, your example, you know, a couple minutes ago about someone throwing out their back at work and they've got uh, doctor's uh, ruling says, you know, they can't lift more than 20 pounds in, say, a warehouse situation. That's, uh, that's, that, that's obvious. That makes sense. That's kind of low-hanging fruit. But how far would or how far does an employer have to go when it comes to accommodation? Is there a breaking point? There is, yes. And the, the key sort of legal phrase, so the thing that you'll see employers sort of trot out in, mm-hmm. in response to request to accommodation is this phrase, undue hardship. An employer only has to accommodate to the point of undue hardship. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking of uh, an employer who uh, I represented years back in Ontario, and uh, they had a, a discrimination complaint made against them for a failure to accommodate a disability. But the accommodation that was being sought was the building of, um, of a, a particularly accessible boat for this individual to go on. Um, and, you know, that is something that reaches this point for this particular small family-owned operation uh, that would be undue hardship. So typically when we're considering undue hardship, we're looking at cost. Uh, 
and we're looking at safety. So if it's too expensive, if it's inordinately expensive for the employer to initiate this form of accommodation, um, or if it compromises the safety of other individuals, then the employer does not have to accommodate. Um, One other way uh, in which our, our courts and our tribunals pretty unanimously agree uh, with respect to accommodation is that you don't ha- the employer doesn't have to create a new position for the employee. So, you know, a lot of employees are saying, well, fine, I can't go back to my old job, but why can't I be, you know, the third receptionist? And a right. tribunal isn't going to say to a company, you've got to create a third receptionist position if there's no need for it. Um, so that's typically the threshold that an employer has to meet. I will say that besides the creation of a new position, it, it can be a fairly high threshold. And obviously, the bigger the company, the more resources they have available to them, the higher that threshold gets. So, there, I mean, there's got to be a point, uh, you know, I mean, what can an employee do if the employer does not pro- provide proper accommodation, if it's not something completely beyond the pale? I mean, uh, you know. Can they be let go? Is there some recourse for them as an employee? Yeah. So if if your employer is not providing proper accommodation, I mean, what your options are will generally depend on what the failure to provide proper accommodation means for your job. If the failure to provide proper accommodation means that you can't work, then you can technically, again, construe that as a constructive dismissal and seek your severance. And you can also bring a claim at the Human Rights Tribunal for damages as a result of the failure to accommodate. Um, if you're let go in that context, I mean, that is that is just like an employment law fact pattern, you know, test comes walking into a bar like that just has every single element of an employment law claim that you see uh you know at school right it's an employee who says you know i'm disabled and i need accommodation and the employer says uh no and also you're fired i mean that just that that touches on everything you get severance Uh, you get, uh, you know, human rights code damages, depending on what you were asking for, depending on the issues that you were raising, you could bring a discriminatory action complaint through WorkSafeBC. I mean, the, the possibilities in a situation like that are truly endless. So your employer generally has to act uh, in good faith when dealing with you, but that is particularly going to be the case when you've requested accommodation. They have to investigate. They have to include you as part of that investigation. uh, And, you know, they need to keep those lines of communication open. They can't just, you know, take your request, make a cursory assessment that you're not, that there's no accommodation, there's nothing available to you, and then tell you to go jump in a lake. Um, so they, they have to undertake that good faith assessment. And if they really, really can't accommodate you, um, then, you know, then you might have options in terms of, uh, of asking for severance. Got about a minute or uh, two left here. Let's get to uh, an email before we wrap. This one from Travis says, Can I be fired from my job because of COVID when other employees with less seniority are still working? So, I mean, first of all, seniority um, doesn't really matter in a non-unionized context. 
Um, you know, you can be laid off regardless of, uh, of, you know, if you were there for 30 years or 30 minutes. Um, that doesn't really matter. But no, I mean, you, I mean, you can be terminated for any reason in the world as long as it's not discriminatory and as long as it's not because you raised a safety complaint. So if your, uh, if your employer is saying you were terminated for COVID, that's technically legitimate. It's as legitimate as saying, you know, you're terminated for restructuring, you're terminated because of a personality conflict, you're terminated because, you know, we just don't think it's a good fit, but you're entitled to severance. The seniority of other individuals there don't necessarily matter, um, but that individual specifically is going to be entitled to severance as a result of a, of a COVID layoff, just like they would be entitled to severance in the context of any other termination. Yeah, like you've said, it's, it might not be a nice thing, a nice moral thing, an ethical thing, but it's not an illegal thing in a non-union setting, right? That's exactly it. And I tell employers all the time, you know, even if even if you don't, you know, want to, it's so important to tell employees the reason. It's so important to have that conversation yeah. and to try to be as honest and transparent as possible because it's oftentimes what drives employees to speak to a lawyer in the first place. Uh, but, you know, 90% of the time, the reason for your termination is not going to matter. It's not going to form part of a wrongful dismissal complaint. It's only your severance. And that'll do it for another afternoon. Appreciate your phone calls, and uh, thanks for hanging with us and tuning in. Hope you learned something. You want to continue the conversation with Leah now that we're done. No problem. Number 604-283-3123. You can email help at employmentlawyer.ca at any time you like. It's like having an employment lawyer with you on your uh, on your phone anytime. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is where you want to go. We'll catch you next weekend. Employment Law Show on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.